Today's episode of Cinema Gush is brought to you by the Off Into the Distance trope. Well, you did it, stranger. You saved our town or business or church or whatever thing. And now, seeing as it's close to 427 in the afternoon, you gotta go get ready to walk off into that sunset. No, no, no need to say goodbye. This is one cool explosion you get to walk away from all by yourself. Maybe you've got a little piano ditty you stroll off to. Maybe it's acapella singing. Just don't make it such a big deal, all right? This is you leaving us after a job well done. What about us? A stranger will be fine. We want to know where you'll be going or what you'll be up to next, but that just ain't for us to see now, is it? Unless, of course, there's some big, bad box office budget that'll blow you back into our lives like a tumbleweed caught in a Willet Blend blender. You'll never write. You'll never call. You won't even add us on Friendster. Yep, I reckon this is the end. The off into the distance trope. So long there, space cowboy. We'll never forget you. Lord knows you've already forgotten us. Damn it, I was so No, close. no, no, keep it, keep it, <laughs> keep it. So close. Oh, okay. Yeah. Dude, it was, it was right Lord in the knows you've already forgotten us. Okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, everybody, welcome to another episode of Cinema Gush. I am Nick, and I am joined by Brendan, and today's special Hi. guest is an amazing actress and an amazing writer, director, and pilot. Is that right? Potentially, maybe someday, yes. Ooh. Potentially, maybe someday. So, are you not flying the little planes on Facebook, or is that Vito? So, Vito, my husband, is flying the little planes on Facebook. Only on <laughs> Facebook, not really in the sky, you know, just the little ones on Facebook. Um, Excellent. No, yeah. He is a private pilot now. I am going through ground school, so I'm working on, you know, the paper, the boring paper lessons, that sort of thing. Um, so That's I've been still amazing. Plane, I, I have not uh, flown the plane by myself yet. Excellent. Well, we're joined by Lydia Cap. either way, everybody. So thank you so much for being on the show today. We are stoked to uh, talk about the movie that you chose, and that is Lilies of the Field. Yes. Now, why this movie of all the movies? Like, what's, <laughs> what's special about this one for you? So, this is a movie, there are many, many movies that I love very much, but this is a movie that I genuinely could watch over and over again and truly enjoy. Um, mm. And there are lots of movies I respect and admire, but don't feel that way about. And so, I thought if I was going to gush about a movie, first of all, it's got to be a movie that I can watch a lot. And second of all, it's got to have an amazing performance, at least one, if not multiple, it's got to have an amazing performance. And there is no other man that is the man like Sidney Poitier is the man. Oh, mm-hmm. oh amen. Absolutely. That, yeah. yeah. Nick, have, did you what see was this the first? I had, you know what? I had rented this on VHS from Hollywood Video back in the early 2000s, and I got halfway through, and I think I fell asleep and had to return it the next day. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but. I had so I've seen that half of it, but I mean I don't. I sat down. I had a nice little drink, and I just really, really enjoyed this movie. I just thought it was oh yeah, really beautiful. What about you, Brenda? Have you seen it before? No, this is my first time. Me and the wife sat down, and what a delight! We actually we watched the first half with the kids over dinner, and then they went to bed, and we finished it with the same. We had a glass of wine, and we watched the rest of it, and just enjoyed every minute of it. Excellent. It's just scrumptious. Like you can just eat it up. It's really. It's so simple and yet so effective. And it feels yeah. like the kind of story that is, is classic, is effervescent. And yet it's very, it was very 
Yeah, I mean, it's not that it wasn't uh, hard to make for the people who made it, but it was inexpensive. It's not grand. There's no major spectacle. There's no, you know, difficult to achieve visual effects. There's nothing about it that's glamorous. It's just a well-told story with amazing performances, very, um, very specifically written dialogue that makes the characters feel like real people and, and not just general um, persons. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and so it still works, even after all this time, even, even if you've never seen it before. It's a, it's a beautiful little slow burn. Absolutely. Yeah. And spoilers will abound, everybody. So uh, definitely check this one out as soon as you can. Uh, it was free on Xfinity at the moment, and that's how I saw it. Um, what was the, f the first time you saw this, Lydia? Walk us through. Like, Do you remember how old you were, where you were, what the setting was? Like, Tell us about that. Yes. So it has been one of the greatest uh, pleasures and privileges of my life that I made the acquaintance when I was living in Los Angeles of Dan Loria, who played the dad on The Wonder Years. He is an amazing ah. actor. Um, just an actor's actor, you know, uh, such a supportive, encouraging uh, legacy of the theater and film world. And I was introduced to him by a friend who said, you got to come over to Dan Laurie's for movie nights. You know, he does movie nights every week. He's got wine and popcorn to pull your, pour you more wine than you're even expecting and, and we'll watch a movie. <laughs> so I had been going to movie nights at Dan Laurie's for a number of years, uh, probably two or three years before we watched this movie. But Dan is the person who introduced me to this film. And I think he had kind of gotten to know me over that time and known... I remember him putting it in and be like, oh, Lydia, get your <laughs> tissues ready. You're going to love this one. And oh, he, was, wow. he was right. Um, I think it was also the first time I had ever seen uh, Sidney Poitier. And I was just mesmerized with him. He, was, he, he felt so bright and so earnest in a way that you really can't get away with unless, unless you actually are. You can't fake that kind of, that kind of joy, that kind of inner light. Um, if you do, it just comes across really cheesy. And I was so impressed mm -hmm. with him as this, uh, just this, you know, very uh, personable, very amiable, delightful man thrown into these circumstances. He doesn't want to be uh, helping these ladies out. <laughs> and the, yeah. the joy he brought really, really wrapped me up in the film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then what you said about the simplicity of the story was just dead on. I just kept thinking that there needs to be more movies like this. I know that there are several like quiet movies that came out last year that did pretty well at festivals, but I just there were so many like filmmakers I just wanted to shake and be like, take some notes here. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be <laughs> crazy. And I mean, I I just really adore the way that the mother just kept bringing him back yeah. in and back in, or like ignoring him when he tries to leave, and you know, it's a quintessential the German nun. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. I, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, yes, go ahead and start. Please gush. Like, tell us all the things that you love about this movie. Okay. So, uh, there, oh man, there's so many things. So, obviously, yes, yeah, Sidney Poitier's performance is spectacular, but you also have to talk about um, the woman who plays the, the mother superior of this tiny little baby convent in the middle of nowhere, Arizona. Um, she is Lilia Scalia, and her portrayal is also just fantastic. It's that. It's that right amount of stereotype with all of the <laughs> deliciousness of a real human being fleshing it out. And much of that credit goes to the writing as well, because the, the lines themselves um, in her manipulating this strapping young man to, to come do all of these odd jobs for her uh, for free. Her, her work makes it feel like she's 
really manipulating Sidney Poitier in in the yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I could, I feel like there's a there's a genuine chemistry between the two of them, and a and a real affection that grows, which is great to see as well because it's not romantic. It's it's a mm-hmm. strictly platonic relationship between this. Um, this young man who's on the road, he's a handyman. Um, he says, okay, fine, I'll, you know, I'll fix your roof for hire. And uh, she pretends that she doesn't know what the word hire means, which is also funny. Um, and, uh, but the, the more that he works at this, at this convent or at this, um, this, in this land that they have um, inherited, the more he starts to appreciate her for what she does for the other the other women that are there, the other nuns that are there. And so the relationship and the chemistry between the two of them is something unlike really what we see these days. I think so much of if there's going to be chemistry, quote unquote, in a film, it's almost always romantic. We don't see, um, you know, co-workers that can come together in a way that feels like true life without being like, well, of course they're going to fall in love at some point down the road. Yeah. They're going to play with those feelings of ours. And it's like, no, these are, these are two very distinct people. You know, one of them is going to go off into the distance, as I believe it was said earlier. Absolutely. Um, at the end of the film. And yet uh, the work that they do and the um, compromises that they make for each other also really brings them together. So it's kind of a, it's like a platonic marriage between two strangers. Sure, sure. Absolutely, yeah. I gotta say, um, no, I was gonna, no, I was gonna say, Brendan, you sat, uh, you sat down and watched it with your wife. Did you sit down with Vito and watch this one? I did, yes. And yeah, he had actually so, seen it before, um, but he even, even he was like, I would totally watch that movie again with you. That's a great movie. <laughs> so, in trying to get my wife to watch this movie, I said, um, you know, I'm getting ready to watch for this week's Cinema Gush, and she says, "What's it called?" I said, "Lilies of the Field," and she said, "Oh, that's the scary one." <laughs> what do you mean by that? I said, what do you mean that's a scary one? She's like, isn't that the scary movie? I'm like, it's about a dude who builds a house for some nuns. And she's like, oh, I thought you said Children of the Corn. So we had oh to get gosh. that. Yeah, it was a different right movies. off the bat, I'm just like, honey, wrong foot. Like, could not have been more on the wrong foot here. That's pretty um, funny. And Sydney, uh, I will say this too. I, I was fully expecting to IMDb him and see that he had passed away. No, he is 93 today, yeah. 94 by the time you hear this episode. Like, I didn't know much about him. I knew that he was in, um, what was that movie my wife said, uh, To Sir With Love, which uh-huh. I knew from a Boy Meets World reference, which <laughs> that's a whole other thing. God bless um, Boy Meets World. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and then this movie was also put in the uh, National Film Registry last year by the Library of Congress mm-hmm. uh, as being culturally, historically, uh, or aesthetically significant. Yeah. Um, and I think that is awesome. Did you read the book that this is based off, by the way? No, I have not read the book. I would be interested to read the book now after talking about it again, because as a screenwriter, um, I've also adapted books to film and written mm-hmm. things on spec both. And so... Um, it's always interesting when a, f- a film thrives to know uh, how much of that was that just the original content was so exceptional and how much of it was really the the acuity of the writer being able to pull the best parts out of the book. I'm not sure. Exactly. And I mean, I look at things these days where it seems like books, depending on how bestseller a book becomes, like we'll get a movie within a couple of years. This book came out in 62 and I think the movie came out in 63. So it was like, an yeah. insanely fast turnaround from adapting, screenplay, getting everybody in order, um, and then 
just getting it off and running. And then, of course, for him to win the Academy Award for Best Actor. Right. Um, while, while the movie should have, I think, swept all categories, right? She was up for Best Actress. There was Best yes. Director, Best Picture. It should have won them all, but it was wonderful that he got that Oscar historically. And you sent me, just the other night when we were all watching the film, you sent me um, his Oscar acceptance speech when Anne Bancroft gave him the award. And it mm-hmm. was lovely watching Sydney, but watching Anne Bancroft give him that award was delightful. She was like... She was just elated and so happy that he won and was cheering him on the whole time. It was really, really cool to see his excitement um, and as, as well as hers. That was just a blast. Well, you have, if, yes, send me that link. Let's, we got to throw that in the show notes. Yeah, we'll throw, we'll throw that in the show notes for sure. I, I love watching old uh, actors' acceptance speeches. We did Rain Man a couple weeks ago, and as soon as we finished the episode, I was like, oh, yeah, he won Best Actor. We got, I got to watch that one, too, and it was his... Dustin Hoffman's speech for winning Best Actor yeah. was just awesome. Um, but yeah. okay, so yeah, so back to the movie. You know, he gets pulled into this whole world, and um, we get to that awesome translation scene, and he starts teaching yes. them English. And my skin is black, and my skin <laughs> like that whole them speaking in German with that yes. uh, accent was such a thrill. And I wrote this down as a completely nothing note, but at one point Homer says he's looking for a chili wagon, and I thought, where does one find a chili wagon these days? That sounds. <laughs> Just absolutely lovely. Uh, so anyway, sorry. Back to you. Back we to you. We all need a chili wagon. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So so this man uh, shows up, agrees to work on a roof. Uh, you know, the, the nun refuses to pay him and just pretends she doesn't understand him and invites him in for dinner. And um, at the end of dinner, these these nuns all turn on a gramophone and a phonograph and are, are practicing their English. And... It's one of my favorite scenes in film history because it's it's so simple. But you have all of these these white German women who are so eager to learn English, and then you have this stunningly handsome black man who's sitting on the other end of the table, uh, just kind of delightfully laughing in their inability to say English words correctly. Um, mm-hmm. But then you know he's not a snob about it. He he really goes with them and, and helps them learn English and helps them practice and gets involved uh, with, with their excitement and their enthusiasm. And so you see this merging of worlds in a way that is, is really beautiful and hopeful. You see two different races, you see people from very different cultural backgrounds, and they're all working together to learn English. And it's funny at the same time. It's, it's just really sweet and endearing. And I think that really, if the tone of the movie hasn't been set for uh, the viewer already, that really sets the rest of it. That it's this, when we come together, we're better. And it doesn't matter that we're different. And in fact, it's great when we recognize that we're different. Because first of all, that's part of what makes us who we are. And second of all, that's Mm -hmm. what helps us fill in the gaps for, for each other. Um, And that's really, really uh, connoted through that scene in such a lovely and practical way. Yeah. I I love that mother Maria didn't really, you know, I think the temptation in a movie like this um, is to have her be one note and be grumpy the entire time. And maybe towards the end, start coming around. Yeah. But she jumps right in with the translations when the, the very famous scene where he starts teaching them the amen song and uh-huh. the recorders being played. And she's actually singing along with it. She's not just being the grump in the corner the whole time. Like her character evolution started so quickly. Whereas the other nuns were just so joyful all the time. And when she'd leave the room, they'd like smile to each other. Just 
But that beautiful contrast and, and clashing of worlds and, and you know, not following that temptation to just have a character be one note the entire movie was very, very nice. Um, yes. Well, I mean, there, there's not a lot of character change throughout, right? There's very small things they're learning. It's they're, not, they're not changing internally that much, it didn't seem like. It was... I, I Yeah. Yeah, you're right. No, I just mean like there's there's like a temptation to have like a solid, um, you know that that everybody every character has to be screwed, right? They all have to learn the lesson well, by the end. No, I she didn't. Yeah, I mean that I like that. I I've, I feel like I don't know when the last time I saw a movie where it's two people who the 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 growth of the movie is like you say it's coming together and learning how to meet in the middle in these two different uh, groups. I I like that we have a movie where people were just genuinely decent to one another from beginning to end and the challenges yes. that they're overcoming together absolutely except for that catholic breakfast i don't agree <laughs> with catholic breakfast being one lazy over easy egg a catholic like, okay, breakfast is occurring second. in a nunnery though <laughs> that, i guess that's true i guess that's true but you know it, it plays off well because he gets that one egg slurps it literally i don't even think he takes a bite just like just he slurps flat it down. the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. He was like, then, he was Rocky before Rocky, you know? He, he downed that one egg like he was training. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and then he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to drive them. But he, even though he, so he, yeah, when it comes time for them to go to mass and they're going to walk, he doesn't want to drive them. But then he ends up getting dressed up anyway. And he's literally wiping off and shining the car the entire time they're getting to ready make to it come nice inside the them. car. and. I know, and it's it's. Uh, here's what I, I just think that, that was so here's good. what I think that highlights in this film is that this is what happens to us in life, right? There are these mm-hmm. little tiny things, these little ways that we make room for other people in our lives, or we decide, you know what? It's really inconvenient for me to put the grocery cart away, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to put the grocery cart away, and when I <laughs> see the guy who's grabbing all of the grocery carts, I'm going to wave and be like, "Hey, thanks, man." You know, it's like that is so small, but that's so true to life. And that's it's that kind of conscientiousness that if we can curate it over and over and over again with our small decisions is what makes the world a better place. And that's what this movie is showing. It's not that these people are meant to live together forever and build their their mecca and you know but it's hey this person was put in my sphere for a little time how can Mm -hmm. i love on them in a way that's genuinely inconvenient to me i don't like it but i know that it's the right thing to do so i'm going to do it anyways i know that this german Mm. nun is manipulating me into doing this (laughs) but like she's not wrong that i can tell she needs my help and i have this and i can offer it to her it's a service that I can give and I'm going to give it. And the same thing when, um, you know, the nun at the end, not, not at the end, but, uh, you know, she's sort of reserved her praise of him or her appreciation. She um, notoriously doesn't say thank you until she's sort of tricked into saying thank you at the very end <laughs> oh, of the movie. Yeah. Such a great scene. Which is a wonderful moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it's wonderful, too, when she um, brings Sidney Poitier's Homer Smith is. Well, we'll get back to that. She brings Sidney Poitier's character to the front of the church to say, this is the man. This is the man that is helping us build our shepel, as she calls it. Yeah, that's um, right. And, you know, saying it's him. He's the one that we have to thank and really putting him up at the forefront. And so she's making little tiny baby steps as well that are inconvenient. And then, you know, she says, OK, now go eat your breakfast. She's giving him his <laughs> his way as well. And, you know, even says like he's a Baptist. But, you know, we are all um, of the faith. You know, we all this the same God and, and we are we can serve him together. Um, But I I do want to go back and uh, just one of the things that is so fun about the movie is that his name is Homer Smith, but for some reason 
the nuns are like, Schmidt, Schmidt, Schmidt. They're like, Schmidt, Schmidt, Schmidt. <laughs> so they call him Schmidt throughout the whole movie. And her just shouting across the fields uh, or across the dirt, really, just Schmidt, you know, dinner or whatever. Is, it's so simple, <laughs> but it's a really fun uh, comedic uh, tact as well. Mm-hmm. This movie was loaded with comedic moments. I love when, you know, after he gets the job, um, he tells her to get in the car, in which he's like, we're going to the bus stop. He says, don't be cute, and, like, gets them into yeah. the car. Like, <laughs> um, that little kind of, you know, the movie is obviously from Scripture. I believe it's a, a line in Matthew. Um, there's that scene where, you know, he wants to build it himself. He doesn't have to have that moment either where he's just like, I'm going to build this because I want to build Like, that, that thing doesn't happen. That always happens in, in movies. Um, but when you have the Mexicans who want to help build it, and then you have the nuns, and you have that beautiful, like, Tower of Babel moment where he has to, like, once again kind of step in and change things up. Like, there was just so many moments like that littered in the movie of just great comedic timing. And, you know, him just kind of sitting back and watching them fight was uh, quite the delight. Yes. But I, I guess that's what I what I was saying before that I love so much is that even, that's like his lowest moment in the movie is just the fact that he's got to adjust a little, right? And come into yeah. his new, better, bigger role. And I, I love that. I mean, to me, if this movie was made today, about two-thirds of the way through, the, the, the climax of, of act two or three would be the fact that he realizes they don't have any money to pay me. And it would be a big drama and we'd have it to do. I love that. That's oh, out in the front yeah. right at the beginning and we're just solving the problem. And, yeah. and mm-hmm. these people it gets are going very yeah. quickly. Yeah, That's and right. a, and another thing, uh, it, when you, what you mentioned about him saying, I really wanted to make this myself, and she, the the nun, um, turns and looks at him and says, God is building the chapel. You know, like who are you to say how it needs to be done? And she's not wrong either, and that's something that that's that he is able to take from her as well. It's not that he doesn't need help and it's not that he could make the thing entirely uh, by himself. He, he needs the help, but at the same time, he can be the foreman, he can be the contractor who's guiding all of the rest of the people, but still be surrendering it as a, as a gift that he can share mm-hmm. with other people. And it's not, you know, well, it's mine, it's me, I have to build it. You know, it's, it's only going to be valuable to me if I'm the one who gets the credit for it. And I think that's as much a Christian lesson as any. And, and it's, the kind of, it's the kind of storytelling that's very subtle but very meaningful that I think as a Christian really hits home for me, that sense of, you know, it's, it's not about me getting the credit for building the chapel. It's like, did I build the chapel, though? Did, did I do the work that was asked of me that was important? And mm-hmm. th- it's the kind of story that, um, I think resonates with people even if you are not religious. And yet at the same mm-hmm. time, it's like a more truly Christian film than quote unquote Christian films that are produced today. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Since we're going that on the nose, I'll say there were definitely some Christian filmmakers who I'm just like, hello, like look at this simple story. You don't have to yeah. have sweeping music. And like that, like Brendan said, that that climax, there's no money. Well, I'm out of here because you lied thing that like all rom coms mm-hmm. did in the 90s. Like all those typical tropes and cliches like did not have to be done. Not that they didn't exist at that time, but just like this movie didn't go anywhere near that route. Um, yeah. But I have to say, like, one of my favorite characters in this whole movie was Juan, uh, who was the man who ran the diner, gave him a first real true (laughs) breakfast. Um, And his 
kind of Pascal wager about taking out insurance, and that's yeah. why he's helping. Uh, the idea that he can't have belief because life is only what he can see, but if what the people he is building it with believe it, well, then that's his insurance. And later he makes that offhanded comment about the uh, the rich man who delivers all the bricks, and he's like, why would he do that? Well, you know, Homer says, why would he do that? And he goes, insurance, what? Nothing. <laughs> this is tangential, yeah. but I do need to point out that when that man hands Sydney that glass of orange juice, I have never wanted a glass of orange juice more in my life. Yeah. The joy on his face <laughs> so drinking true. that. Mm, uh, smiling yeah. ear to ear. So true. Well, and you know what? I love, too, that he, you know, he pushed back on the on Juan, being like, "Did you?" I said, "You know, squeezed fresh," and I'm, that was a little bit stronger how I just voiced it. But you know, like, "Hey, sure, I, sure. I meant fresh squeezed," and he's like, "I squeezed it fresh this morning." It's like this little <laughs> mini show off between people. But then Sydney takes it, drinks it, and it's like, "Ah, yeah, you're right. I acquiesce." And I feel like that's also <laughs> a moment that's true to life as well. And and in film today, it's like these little microaggressions. They never resolve. It's like microaggression, microaggression, microaggression. Everybody's angry mm-hmm. and they depart as opposed to, hey, a little bit of a, I'm pushing back on you. I'm pushing back on you. I'm pushing back on you. We'll try it. Okay. Okay. You were right. And now we're friends. And that mm-hmm. I think is, is significant too. It's just, it's just really smart screenwriting. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Truly is. Um, Brendan, favorite scene in the whole movie? Uh, honestly, that breakfast scene. I mean, anytime Sydney's doing anything, he's doing it with such effervescent joy that it's infectious. But watching him eat that breakfast, to me, I don't know. There's like, I love that that back and forth that they have. But also, like, you get to watch a man enjoy the pleasures of life in a truly wholesome, loving, and embracing way. And it made me really hungry. And I don't know why, but I really love that scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent, Lydia. Your favorite scene? Oh man. Um, probably, uh, probably one of them is definitely the first learning English lesson. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's this little laugh that Sydney has. I just posted on Instagram the other night cause I just couldn't help myself where, uh, he's yeah, yeah. getting them all. He's like, we all stand up. And then when they go, we all stand up and he goes, we all <laughs> sit down. And like, you can just hear him actually laughing through the line because something made him laugh in a moment or that mm-hmm. action made him laugh. So I love that. It feels very real. Um, and then, uh, I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a little more stylized in some ways, but I do think the ending is really special. I think um, yes. the, sure. the fact that he's been trying to leave all this time, he does, he's been trying to get that permission to go and be like, all right, my work here's done. And she keeps trying to, you know, okay, but did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? He's like, yep. It's all done. And then she finally takes a breath after this whole movie of sort of that pent up tension and is like, well, then it's, it's really done. And they start to sing, you know, amen. amen. And he just slowly backs out of the room and the other nuns are enjoying the song, but you watch the, the mother nun's face realize mm-hmm. what he's doing, that he's slowly leaving them. And she's, it's this like, they part without really saying goodbye. It's that off into the distance uh, thing you described in the beginning, you know? Um, yeah. I think when you look at that scene and you break it down. So it's my favorite scene in the movie for a, a number of reasons. But when you really break down that sequence, what you see is her trying to keep him. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you must oil the doors. Did it. Well, the pews are, pews are nailed down to the floor. Did it. Like, 
she's trying to keep him around because she loves having him around. Yeah. And it's that bittersweet moment when she realizes, well, then that is kind of the end of the work. And then he starts the song and that, like you said, her face and that gracious back away. And he mm. kind of starts getting quieter and quieter with the song as it goes away. Uh, and speaking of the music, by the way, and refresh my memory if I'm wrong, I didn't really notice any insane music swells or... I don't recall. I don't, I don't know, fanfare. Like, it seemed to be harmonica, recorder, and acapella. And that yeah. was it for the soundtrack. Like, they didn't have to have, like, the strings for, like, the sad moment. Like, it was just, again, that simplicity of it. Yeah, um, it, I think it, it felt very special. minimal. It felt very much like the environment. You're seeing these very dry... Yeah sparse wide shots of desert <coughs> and that felt like what you but you were also getting sunlight it's a black and white film but you're still getting lots and lots of light lots of desert light and that's what the music felt like to me, felt like to me as well it's like all of the light with none of the plants <laughs> just dirt <laughs> <laughs> yep and as somebody from arizona that is pretty accurate to how tucson is which is <laughs> where they filmed it so what else anything else you want to gush about i Go for it, Brendan. No, I, I wanted to ask, if either of you know, because it sure did seem like they built a chapel. Does anybody know what... Like, yes, they did. Did, so did they? That's what I was wondering. I was reading up on this today. So the production crew actually had to keep up with the, the progress, quote-unquote, of the film. The film was only shot in 14 days, so they had to actually oh, build wow. the chapel. They built the whole chapel. There was no... Um, there was no art director, I believe, on the film, but there was like a props master. And so he oversaw the entire building of the chapel and it was perfectly structurally sound and would have withstood for centuries, but they built it on the property that they were filming on was rented. So they couldn't oh. legally keep it oh. up. So they had to destroy it immediately after the That's so sad. production finished. Because <laughs> it looks so cute. But it was a real chapel. They built the whole thing from ground up. Because it sure does yeah, look like they're building cool. a chapel. Yeah. <laughs> that's really so you're saying cool. the point of the movie is what occurs yeah i would agree <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i thought that was really neat i think um well and i was I, I mean it was made in the 60s and budget was like two hundred and forty thousand dollars, which is yep. obviously a lot more then than it is now but that's still significantly lower than your average movie budget in the 60s and i think mm -hmm. it just goes to show you that everything starts with the script and even sydney yep. poitier mm -hmm. with with uh uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He um, forwent his normal salary, salary? for this oh. film and took uh, a smaller salary and some producing credit or money on the back end in order to do it because it was that important to him to be a part of it. Wow. And then look, lo and behold, he goes and wins the Oscar. Um, right. Which is notable. He was the first African-American actor to win uh, Best Actor at the Oscars. And it's for mm -hmm. an impeccable, beautiful performance. It's... It's yeah. a joy. Um, yeah. and it's also a film that he was willing to commit to, a script that he was willing to commit to for less money. And I'm glad that it benefited him in the way that it did. But it really just goes to show you that the script is where it's at. Um, mm -hmm. If you have a really good script, it will attract amazing actors. Um, put your time, put your money in the script and in the story and all of the rest of the goods will come. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree more. I mean, I I would absolutely say this was a perfect movie. Oh, yeah. It's delightful all around. Thank you for recommending yeah. it. I don't know if I'd ever yeah. turn it on otherwise. It was, it was a pleasure, pleasure and a half. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those, you know, uh, it's 3 o'clock on a Wednesday and Turner Classic Movies is running this, and it's like, well, it's black and white, I don't know, you know, kind of things, but then, like, it ends up being this wonderfully beautiful yeah. film that... My, my seven-year-old daughter, we turned it on and said, Dad, there's a problem, and she said, what's wrong? Said, well, there's no color, and movies without color are not very good. Oh, oh no! But oh. we're working on it, and she was she was sold pretty darn quick. Hey, there you go. That's a good start. You know, I yeah. think it's, it's such a shame that so many people feel that way about black and white films because there are some, I mean, there are some dynamite movies, thousands of amazing films and amazing stories. And mm-hmm. it just takes watching them to realize how wonderful they are. And I think it's great what you guys are doing, gushing about different films, because I think when you get that sense of passion from somebody talking, like all three of us talking about yeah. this movie, you know, someone's going to be much more likely to go watch it. And then everything else that, um, Sydney Poitier did and um, it, it's just those films are some of them are really really great and I'm glad that through Turner Classic Movies and podcasts and all of the rest mm-hmm. that they have mm-hmm. a, a place to shine absolutely, absolutely. well I, absolutely. I I for one am even just talking modern movies I wish more movies would take the chance to mess with the palette and go black and white today some of my favorite modern movies are black and white it's yeah. th- there's like what I I will one of probably my top three favorite movies for years was um, Good Night and Good Luck. I'd watch that. Oh, that's right. That, I mean, that's that's comfort food for me. But I, it's it's sometimes we would we would take Raiders of the Lost Ark and turn the color down on the TV just to enjoy the uh, the chiaroscuro of the shadows and the light and play. It's a lot of fun oh, to do sometimes. If you find yeah, good, what a good idea. Um, I the 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 uh, cinematographer for Raiders actually shot it. As if it was a black and white, and they just use a color camera, and so you can really ah. enjoy that pop of it. And it's it's I don't know, you see different things. It draws your attention to different places, and I love that. Yeah, that's a great. Did you know? You know, I think they did the same for the Last Jedi, Brendan, but I can't confirm that right now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, 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 yes, yes, Last Jedi probably did do that. Yep, 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 yep. Absolutely, I'm a minute behind. Totally shows. <laughs> Uh, well, Lydia, we'll have you pick a number now between one and thirty-four because only Ooh. thirty-four people <laughs> in this movie are absolutely. It's a forty-five seconds of credits. <laughs> yeah. Um, seventeen. Number seventeen is wow. It's Ernest Holler who was the director of photography for this movie. Let me pull nice. him up here. That was great timing with talking about all that stuff. Yeah, cinematography by Ernest Holler. Um, Ernest passed away in 1970 at the age of 74, but he, oh my gosh, he did Gone with the Wind. Shut up. Oh. He did Gone with the Wind, Mildred Pierce, Rebel Without a Cause. Oh my goodness. This is one of his last movies. Gosh, he did this, Dead Ringer, Mr. Kingston, Restless Ones, and then one episode of Star Trek and that was it. Wow. Wow. But he, it says cinematography credit for 185 different things. Whoa. Goodness gracious. What an insane people. It would be so good to pick his brain. Now I'm curious what other of his movies that I've seen and love. Let's see. In addition to, I've seen Gone with the Wind. Um, uh, Mildred Pierce, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Circus of Love, My Dream is Yours. Oh my gosh, there are so many. Wow. Wow. And this it's, was one of his really last It's really amazing two. when you look back at the legacy of, you know, there are so so many cinematographers, directors, writers, and the like. It's just how many movies they worked on. It's, it's yeah. so much work. And it's kind of fun to put yourself in those, 
in those footsteps and think, what was it like making all those movies back in the day? Yeah, and so he was nominated, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times for Best Cinematography. Okay, so this is back when they had, uh, for those who don't know, folks, there was back in the day there was Best Cinematography for a black and white film, and there was Best Cinematography for color. So Mm. he won the Oscar in 1940 for Gone with the Wind, but he also was nominated for Jezebel, All This in Heaven 2, Mildred Pierce, (laughs) The Flame and the Arrow, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, and then Lilies of the Field in 64. So. What an insane career. Well, Ernest, I, if, you, if you're somehow hearing this yeah. where you're at, or, uh, or any of Ernest's family, just uh, insanely talented cinematographer. He really yeah. brought the pictures to life. Um, yeah. There were so many awesome tripod tracking shots in this film that like, yes. genuinely made me pause and say, like, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. And of course, because he had an amazing career. With it. So <laughs> yeah. Ernest Does Haller, he, thank you so much. He knows exactly what he's doing because it seems like he's one of the people who invented it. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, like so many delicious first, long takes. His first credit was 1920. I mean, no, you no, you start working in 1920. Yeah. Assistant camera. I mean, you're helping wow. invent the medium at that point. Yeah, you are. What an excellent number choice. <laughs> uh, My cool. pleasure. Well <laughs> All right. Now we need you to pick 1 through 3. Oh man. I'm going to pick 3. Three. Say something nice. Lydia, if you could do me the distinct honor of saying something nice about Man of Steel. Oh, <laughs> Say gosh. something nice. Something really okay. nice. So nice. I, I think that Henry Cavill uh, does a decent job playing Superman. Yeah. I think, I think he is believable uh, in, the, in the role of Superman. Interesting enough, the the podcast posting tomorrow that I edited last night was uh, that was the nice thing that our last guest said about man of, of Superman, Batman versus Superman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, in Batman versus Superman, I thought he was even better. There was a mo- there were a couple scenes with him where I was like, I actually really believe you. Like, this is great. The scene with Amy Adams in the bathtub was delightful. That was Batman versus Superman, which also I you know, I like that scene. My wife did list, not. But. But. <laughs> no, and, and, Let's take it a step further. He felt like a a real Superman, for sure. I I want to take a step further that if you take the worst scenes filmed in uh, probably visually some of the dumbest looking scenes ever filmed is him with his fake (laughs) lower half face and Justice League. They're some of the best Superman scenes ever made. Fortunately, the movie wasn't any good, but man, Joss Whedon actually filmed some good (laughs) Superman scenes. Wait, was that the one where they had to CGI his mustache away because he had to keep Mission Impossible? Mission Impossible Fallout, yeah. They're good much, Superman much, much scenes. It yeah. looks extraordinarily dumb, but they're but he does. I I think he's a great <laughs> Superman. I just want him to have a good script someday. Yeah. Someday. Yeah. He's had good scripts before. Right? No, it was good Superman scripts. Yeah, I love Monte Cristo. I'm I'm a I big like Superman fan. Let's see where, yeah. where is, so there's there's my Superman statue right over there. Aww. I just want a good <laughs> Superman movie. Isn't Not that, that we all want at the end of the day. We all do. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, well, I mean, that's that's pretty much what we got. But we like to wrap up the show with a little bit of you know what are you consuming right now in media? Is many movies, books, audiobooks, TV shows, movies, plays. Like, what are Anything. you enjoying right now that you would highly recommend to people, uh, or even just what you're trying to get through right now? Um, and I, I say that specifically not to go first or anything, but I am trying to get through the stand on CBS All Access. Um, 
it was an insanely good book. Obviously, Stephen King's best book, in my opinion. And uh, that's not a compliment of the show that I'm trying to enjoy it, but I am, I am trying. You're not obligated uh, to continue in trying something that's just not clicking, I, though. But but I kind of love Cyclops, and like to see him in something other than you know X Men is you know uh, so I'm, I'm so that's an, <laughs> as an example. So that's so Lydia, what are you enjoying these days? Well, um, let's see here. I we are currently watching Anne with an E, which is based on Anne uh, of Green Gables, which um, I adored as a child, and. Watching this show is like being a fly on the wall of my childhood, and it's a little bit <laughs> disturbing, but in a kind of a delightful way. Uh, but I had to text my mom and be like, "Oh my gosh, we're watching Anne with an E. Was I was I like that? Did I talk all the time? And was I as <laughs> annoying as her? And but you know, sweet and earnest and you know, kind at the same time. She's like, "Yeah, it reminded me of you." Um, but it's it's really lovely. It's well done. Um, so we're trying to <laughs> trying to get through that, or we're getting through that. There you um, go. And then my my recommendation, probably my favorite show that I watched from the last year, was The Queen's Gambit. I still need to do that. I'm yeah. on episode sitting on my three list. of that. I thoroughly We're enjoyed do that show. Excellent. I'll say and with an E. I remember that when that was first announced, it was uh, interesting. The headline, it was Breaking Bad Writer to write with an E. I was so. like, huh? <laughs> Um, and that is, so my wife's Christmas present this year was all of the old Anna Green Gables on DVD. It finally came out in a big DVD box oh, set. And that's what I got for great. Christmas. So she's been... <laughs> nice. Rewatching those like crazy. Yeah, that's what I watched as a kid. They're good. They're good. Have you read the books too? I read the first book. I watched like okay. all of the movies when I was little, but I read the first book. Yeah. Excellent. Brandon, what are you up to? Um, so we'll start with the more embarrassing dumb one. We just watched all of. Um, have you heard of Tigtone from Adult Swim? Tigtone? No. Tigtone. Think, think quintessential absurdist adult swim cartoon mix in some D and D and make it so over the top that really you can only do one 10 episode minute episode a night or it's just too much take tone. How do you but really enjoy it? T I G T I G T O N E. Is that right? Yeah. There's some YouTube shorts on the adult swim channel. I actually like them better than the actual full show. So yeah, I think you'd enjoy Nick. I don't know if any other soul on the planet would, but, but so that's the more embarrassing one. We, we did, we watched with the kids, so we actually started this movie while my wife was in labor with our second kid and couldn't do it. We, we, we started a lot, of actually, of Studio Ghibli movies. We've, we've, there's multiple movies that we've watched while she started labor and then stopped. It seems to be what she thinks is, we're supposed to do, and I'm happy to acquiesce. Um, but we finally sat down and watched all of The Wind Rises. Um, oh, I, I've seen it before. I've never seen that. I well then I will try not to spoil it for you. I will state that I cried considerably less this time than I did last time, and I cried a considerable amount this time. Um, it's it's a great movie. <laughs> have you seen it, Nick? I will definitely have to check that. No, out. I, that's the one with the zero flyers. Uh, I, it's it's the world pre World War Two. It's the ga- Japanese uh, uh, engineer the planes, designed. Right? Yeah, designed it. And okay. Yeah. I think it's one of the most genuinely romantic, in all the right ways, movies I've seen in many years. I find it, yeah, it's a great movie. Watch it. Let's Wonderful. just leave it at that. 
It's a good one. All right. How about you, I Nick? I wrote it down to watch for sure. Um, well, I'm about halfway through The Two Towers for the very first time. <gasps> what? Um, what? What? We've been what? giving them crap about this every I podcast know. since we've started. <laughs> well, um, allow me to join in the crap giving. I, well, please. Like, I gotta say, <laughs> it, it, I, I it's going to continue, and it must. I texted my brother. I'm like, Helm's Deep is really, really fast. And in the movie, it seemed like it was the entire book. <laughs> um, yeah. So, kind of like yeah, the third I'm, Hobbit movie. Oh my gosh! Oh gosh. It's got Four pages and six hours. That could uh, have been on my list of movies that I had to find something nice to say about. The two towers or the Hobbit? The Hobbit. Okay. Okay. The, the really, any of them? Hobbit. Yeah, the second and third. But, um, the first one so was watchable. Nick, so Nick, how are you? Enjo- are you enjoying Two Towers now that you're watching it? I really am. Well, now that yeah, now I'm reading it. I'm really enjoying. Oh, oh right the way Tolkien tells a story, like it feels very much like you're on a campfire kind of a thing. Um, I just got through the sequence where Pippin essentially recounts the entire, you know, battle with the Ents. And I'm sitting there reading this and I'm thinking like, this would not fly for any publisher, for <laughs> any author to spend eight pages having a character tell everybody what just happened. But isn't um, it great? But it's so great. <laughs> like, and, and it works. <laughs> It works too, so I, I really am enjoying it. Um, yep, yeah, second episode of Queen's Gambit we just watched. Um, I am watching a very, uh, I don't know, weird anime called That Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime. Um, <laughs> just because it got recommended to me. I was going to ask you what it's about, but it seems pretty obvious. I mean, in the first four minutes, this you know middle-aged guy in Japan gets stabbed and uh, he gets reincarnated literally into like a video game world as a slime, like like, that's, like the little gelatinous the monsters from D anD. d Yep, from Dragon Warrior. Yep, just you know, that's <laughs> that's the premise. That's a pretty creative uh, premise. All right. Yeah, All right. it's like I guess there's a whole genre now called isekai where it's like somebody gets transported into a video game world and that has yet to make its way across the seas, but uh, it is. For somebody who played a lot of Game Boy, like it's very enjoyable. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so yeah, that's that's. I'm reading that. I'm watching that, and uh, a little bit of Queen's Gambit. Hopefully, we'll get that all caught up by next week. So that's where we're at. But that yeah. Good. Well, that was an excellent episode, Lydia. Thank you so much for joining us for my uh, pleasure. The oh my gosh, yeah, we'll definitely yep. have to have you on again thank for some you, more black you. and white goodness. Oh, I would love <laughs> Amen. that. Amen. And we love it. Amen. Amen. We just need to all sing that in unison and then like slowly fade out. Just fade it out. We didn't even talk about that either, how like the movie could have said the end, but it said amen instead. That's true. You're right. We didn't talk about that. That was like, that was, that had not happened in a movie before. I mean, that was even in the. Probably hasn't happened since. Yeah, right? Like, that was in the little trivia of the movie. It's, like, one of the first movies to ever have something other than the end pop up on screen. It said amen instead, which, you know, I believe, and it was wonderful. So um, just had to throw a little tidbit in there for you. We, we're, we're always gushing here on Cinema Gush, folks. Always. <laughs> always. So everybody enjoy this week, and we'll see you all in the next one. Bye, y'all. 